Hello, welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. My name is Ben Shatil. I'm part of JP Morgan's FX strategy team based in Tokyo. I'm joined by my colleague, Pat Locke in New York. Pat, welcome. We're here to discuss this week in currency markets. It's certainly been an eventful week. Uh, we've had another leg higher in risky assets, another move lower in the dollar, really on the back of you know, what was this week's main event, the first downside miss on US inflation, uh, really that we've seen in this cycle. So Pat, let's kick off with that inflation print. Um, what did you make of the report? You know, how much of a big deal is it for currency markets? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, taking a step back, I think the miss is a relief in general for everyone. Uh, it's been a long year in terms of inflation running high, and there's been quite a few prints that have printed you know, well above what was expected. So I think it's generally constructive to see a bit of an undershoot there. Um, I think in that sense, you know, it's fair that the dollar was weaker overall, given some easing of broader financial conditions um, on top of the ongoing debate about whether or not, you know, the Fed will pivot. Um, but I also think a more granular look at the inflation data shows uh, that, you know, while we may have seen the year over year numbers peak, there are still components uh, that are not rolling over yet. Um, rent is usually talked about in that sticky category. That's still elevated. Uh, and we've seen wage data separately, you know, that's still running hot too. Um, so the Fed pushback this week, I think, is notable in that respect. Um, and so for now, I think that under helps to underpin the dollar's medium-term prospects, even if the tactical outlook, you know, has probably improved, um, particularly for the for the pro-cyclical block of G10. So Pat, let me let me pick up on a point which I think we've been discussing, which is that you know, on the back of this inflation print, we potentially see some easing in financial conditions. And I guess one argument that we've been thinking about is that if we do see that that easing in financial conditions, so, you know, lower yields, higher risky assets, you know, potentially that could erode one of the supports that we've seen for the dollar uh, this year, at least over the, the kind of the short term, you know, the tactical time horizon. I guess the question is, how should we think about that risk, you know, what's changed in terms of the setup for the dollar? Um, and, you know, are things shifting in terms of that, that kind of short term, that tactical uh, time span? Sure. Um, so as you say, there, there's been a number of pillars, you know, for dollar strength this year. Uh, one is tighter financial conditions. Other include relative real yield outperformance year to date. Uh, and then of course, um, the loss of global momentum is also very important. Uh, it seems to me that only that first pillar, financial conditions, has kind of meaningfully uh, pivoted in the last few weeks. Um, we show in the outlook this week that the that the dollar's trajectory did kind of peak just about when financial conditions did as well, uh, that peak tightness. So any kind of further downdraft, I think, in, in those measures um, could probably weigh on the dollar a bit more from here. Um, so in the near term, you know, I think it's it's not unreasonable that the market can continue to run with this new news, if you would, uh, specific to inflation and, and perhaps downplay some of the other uh, known headwinds uh, like global growth. Um, and as you say, in terms of catalysts, you know, really there's Jackson Hole at the end of the month, uh, but otherwise we're kind of stuck waiting around for the next payrolls and the next CPI print ahead of the September FOMC. And a lot can happen, in, I think, in that kind of window of time. Um, so right now, then, I do think the gap between tactical and medium-term strategies is widening. 
And as a result, I think we need to be a little bit more flexible uh, in the near term. Okay, so let's let's extend the time frame of our discussion beyond that that kind of tactical window. Um, let me throw out the same question, but more from a medium term, a kind of strategic perspective. I guess you know the question is: Does the CPI print change that longer term narrative that we've had around the dollar? You know, the dollar being resilient, the dollar outperforming. Um, are there any implications or uh, changes in terms of how we're thinking about the dollar from a, a kind of a medium-term perspective? Yeah, um, as I said, you know, we're making a clear distinction between kind of tactical flexibility right now and and our core medium-term strategic views on, on the dollar's trajectory. A uh, couple reasons, you know, that we think that the dollar can stay resilient over time. Um, you know, first that you know we don't think the Fed's won inflation is over just yet. Um, and also, second, that we haven't seen a sufficient improvement in global growth, you know, at this point. On that latter point, um, we tend to think of the dollar in terms of a top-down, anti-cyclical sense. Uh, but flipping that around from more of a bottoms-up, it's hard to look at, you know, say euro, for example, uh, and see much reason to want to be strategically long against the dollar. Uh, news there this week, you know, surrounding gas prices and the Rhine River drying up. Um, I think are pretty indicative of, of the headwinds for that kind of for that region. Um, and if euro isn't rising, then I think there's probably limits to the extent to which uh, you know the rest of G10 can rally. Um, and you know, separately, our indicators have continued to point to high beta, largely tracking the state of global growth momentum. So I think arguably it would take something of a regime shift uh, for those currencies to start rallying without kind of a meaningful rebound in, in global growth momentum as well. Um, all in, the conclusion is that, you know, the dollar should probably stay resilient over the medium term. Um, though again, right now we're more open-minded about the dollar's kind of near-term tactical prospects. Um, ben, let me steer the discussion back to you uh, in terms of how we're thinking about the yen at this point. Um, we discussed in our last podcast the idea that, you know, two-sided risk was opening up for the yen. That certainly played out over a wild couple of weeks. Uh, what does this mean? You know, what's, what's the, this week's data mean for the yen in particular, in your view? Yeah, I mean, th there's clearly a story here of, you know, interest rate differentials narrowing. Um, potentially, if the market pairs back, you know, more expectations for Fed hikes on the back of the data flow that we had over the past week or so, you know, that, that can clearly be a, a kind of a downside catalyst for dollar yen. And I think that's pretty much, you know, what we saw at least in the immediate kind of aftermath of the, the CPI report. But I, I think the other point that I'd, I'd want to make is that there appears to also be a, a flow story uh, at play. So what I mean by that is, is not so much the impact on the yen from Japan's trade balance, that the widening trade deficit that we've been discussing over the past few months, but um, more in terms of capital flows. And what we saw in the flow data uh, for last month was that we had very large capital inflows back to Japan. And I guess, you know, the, the point here is that potentially those flows are contributing not just to, to yen strength, but maybe to a bit more yen volatility. So, you know, in the details, what did we see? Well, really two things. Um, foreigners, so foreign investor net buying, so net purchases of JGBs were actually, you know, record highs for the month. 
they net bought more in July than they had net sold during the, you know, the entire kind of period of the market challenging the, the BOJ, the Bank of Japan on yield curve control. And secondly, we also had record flows from Japanese pension funds, Japanese lifers selling their foreign assets, so their holdings of US treasuries, et cetera, and repatriating those funds back to Japan. It's probably not the case that you know, all of those flows were unhedged. So in other words, you know, we don't expect all of those flows to materialize in the form of yen purchases. Some of them will have been FX hedged. Um, but I think it's fair to assume that you know, some of those flows may have been um, you know, a contributor to yen resilience. Um, and maybe you know, one reason that despite the rebound that we've had in, in long-term yields in the US, um, dollar yen has not staged all that much of a, a comeback over the past couple of days, you know, if, if we think these flows have persisted into August. All right, I think we've covered a, a fair amount of ground, so let's wrap up here, if, if I may. Thanks, Pat, and thank you, everyone, for joining. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 12th of August, 2022.